Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. I'd love for you to join me in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. My great takeaway from last week uh, for myself is... uh, you know, whatever you hold on to from your old life will taint your life with Christ. And, uh, and I believe that Paul continues that, that sentiment in this passage of Scripture. And so Ephesians chapter 5, I'm going to begin in verse 1, of course, and then we'll work through as far as we can, as far as we can get today. Uh, and he starts by saying, therefore. Now, again, those of you who are here very often, you know there's a very specific question you should ask yourself anytime you see therefore. You know, what's the question you should ask when you see therefore? What is the therefore, therefore, right? It's terrible grammar, but it's a really good reminder that everything in Scripture should be taken in context. And so when you see therefore, you have to consider the greater context. And so uh, therefore means because these previous things are true or because this is true, it reverts back to chapters 1 through 3. Now remember, we added chapters and verses, so it just refers back to earlier in the letter that Paul wrote. And what chapters 1, 2, and 3 really are dealing with is the blessings and gifts that God gives us through his grace and his, through his son, Jesus Christ. They are the, the nuts and the bolts of faith. They are really irrefutable. They, they can't be argued against because they come from God. They're not really opinions. They are absolute truths. They are the motivations for how we live our everyday life. It's where grace comes from are the first three chapters. But then chapters 4 through 6 continues dealing with the same blessings and the same gifts, but, but differently. So chapters 1, 2, and 3 is where these grace gifts come from. Chapters 4, 5, and 6 are what happens when they pass through us. So, so try to remember, God gives us gifts so that we will have gifts to give. And so the, the things that God wants us to give away, he's already given us. And so if we don't have anything to give, it's simply because, it's not because there's not gifts there, it's because we're not reaching and taking possession of what God has already given. So, uh, one of those recipients of God's grace is, uh, and these gifts and blessings, are ourselves. And that becomes the place that Paul starts with, our relationship to ourselves, specifically our relationship to the way we think. This is so incredibly important that how we think really begins to shape our actions, our attitudes, our emotions, and ultimately even our behavior. So chapter 4, where we're talking about what ourselves look like now that we're seizing possession of these gifts, he talks about in verse 23 uh, that, that there are sins of the mind and that we need to renew the mind of the spirit, that this is the rejection of all of God's good gifts, of all of God's blessing. And when you reject God's gifts, when you reject God's grace, it will always leave you in a sinful mind. And a sinful mind leads us to separation from God early on in chapter 4. 
Separation from God brings us alienation from the life of God. And that comes as a result of our calloused hearts. And so our hearts are calloused as we reject God's grace. Now, the, things, the thing about our calloused hearts is you could have a calloused heart, and because it's calloused, you don't know it. You know, what a callous will do is it will protect that area from sensation. And so while you may feel, you know, pressure or movement, you won't know, you won't know how to, I mean, if you, you won't know how to respond to any sort of feeling simply because that feeling is calloused over. And you'll be able to convince yourself of whatever you want to convince yourself of. You can be talked into almost anything, and everything seems reasonable if it's what you want to be true already. So a calloused heart produces all sorts of sin, and you'll overlook it. You'll overlook it because your mind is not a good judge when it is foolishly in sin. And you will hear people say things, well, you know, what do you think? And you will hear people say, you know, obey your thirst. You will hear people say, follow your heart. You will hear people say all of these, listen, these are such dangers. You know, what do you want? You know, what, what is your truth? And, and listen, because of the callousness of our heart, we are the worst judges on what is right and what is wrong. Because you will always prefer yourself. And because that's true, you'll think you're making rationally good decisions because, of course, you agree. Dangerous. So dangerous. So your heart won't stop you from sinning. If you're going to wait for your heart to stop you from sinning, it will not. And because your heart is directly connected to your mind, your mind will agree with your heart and you will not talk yourself out of it either. In fact, you'll talk yourself into it because your heart has become the sin factory. So I want you to notice the spiritual anatomy here that that Paul is talking about. The mind affects the thinking. The thinking affects the the heart, and the heart affects the emotions. And we are, by nature, driven by our emotions. Now, that's not really a terrible thing. God gave us emotions. We are created emotionally. Uh, But the problem is, is our emotion does not line up with God's emotion. And that's true because of of our sin nature now. So God, God made us to be emotional, but he didn't make us to be sinful. And so our emotions are fallen just like our actions are fallen, just like our hearts are fallen. And so we, we live this way because we are stubborn and we are foolish and we are cut off from the Spirit and we're callous and we're unable to determine right feeling. And right feeling always comes from right thinking. That's why Scripture over and over and over, and in fact, in, in verse 23 of chapter 4, he tells us to renew the, spirit of the, mind, the mind of the Spirit. To be renewed, he tells the church at Rome, to be renewed by the, the, be transformed by the renewing of the what? He told the church at Philippi that they needed to have this mind in them, which was also in Christ Jesus. We are to have the mind of Christ. Otherwise, it's callous. And you can't, you can't trust it. So the wise way that we're supposed to live in Ephesians chapter 4, 5, and 6, it cannot come from our own effort. You can't will yourself into making good decisions, even if you want to. It cannot be done out of obedience to the law even, but it's done by grace, through faith, 
as we trust and as we rely on what God has given us. Whatever you want to believe, you will eventually believe unless it's grounded in the Word of God. So God wants us to know how to feel and how to think, and so He gives us gifts. And He is renewing us. He is restoring us back to pre-fallen man so that we can think like He thinks. So when it comes to us, Paul spends quite a few verses in chapter 4 talking about emotions and attitudes and that affect us and that produces sin. And, and because we will talk ourselves into anything, he wants to give us some you know, ground, groundwork to look at. And Paul is talking about our relationship to ourselves. Now listen, sin continues to produce deeper and deeper sin until it kills you. That's how it works. The bad news is, is as you tolerate sin more and more, you become more and more tolerant because of the callousness of our hearts. Very important for those of you who think that you, can, that you have your sin controlled and that you are steering and that you can quit anytime you want and that you can move in and out of it, just know you are the worst judge imaginable for this issue. All right. That's the first word of verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, someone who wants what someone else has and is willing to think themselves, they deserve it better or they deserve it more or they deserve it too, and they begin to elevate the things of this world instead of the creator, we begin to focus on the creation. It's idolatry. It has, they have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time, you were darkness. Notice that you were darkness, not in darkness. But now you are light in the world. So walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Paul's making the 
previous comparison between the foolish and the wise. In Ephesians 4, he tells us that we should walk in unity with each other. He told us that we should walk in purity with each other, with ourselves, uh, because we are brand new. And since we have been made brand new, we have the freedom to walk in that newness and truly start over. Old things are gone. The new has come. Remember what Paul said, don't walk like Gentiles in the foolishness of their thinking. Don't walk like those who are trapped to the law, who are trapped to their sin. Don't walk like men. Stop walking like people. Quit comparing yourself to the best version of a person you know. That's ultimately what Paul was saying here. But how should we walk? Well, verse 23 of chapter 4 says, renewed in the spirits of your mind. Verse 24, the new self. Because that is true, look at this. And then he hits it here strong in verse 1. Don't be imitators of men. Be imitators of God. What in the world? See, what we want to do is we want to compare ourselves to people that we can compare ourselves to. People that make us feel better about ourselves, or people that we can aspire to be, if I were just a little better, I could be like them. We put people on these pedestals or we put people on the bottom of totem poles and we compare ourselves to them. Paul said, don't live like the foolish Gentiles in their foolish thinking. Don't, don't imitate men. Don't imitate men. Don't live like the Jews who think there's something special because they follow the law. Don't follow men who follow sin. Don't follow men who follow the law. You need to imitate God himself. If you want to compare yourself, don't compare yourself to me. Don't compare yourself to, to each other. Don't compare yourself to the best person you know. And say, well, at least I'm not like that. Or, boy, if I worked a little harder, I could be like that. What Paul says is, be imitators of God. You say, I look like other people when I follow my heart, my mind. And it leads to foolishness. And it leads to death. Listen, even if you know some really great people, if you follow them... You don't have the rails by which to walk on, to live in, unless you know the rails that they're living in, the empowerment that they're living in. If they're truly following Christ, there's some really good people that are not following Christ. And you may want their life, but their life is death if it's separated from Jesus Christ. Well, don't aspire to be like people. Don't, don't mimic people. That will lead to covetousness. That'll lead to people pleasing. That'll lead to the applause of men. That'll lead to doing whatever it takes to be popular. No, no, no. That's not what we are called to. Be imitators of God. So, well, that's Paul must be speaking in extreme language. Nope, he's not. He's saying either the life you follow leads to death. Or you follow Jesus and it leads to life. There is no middle ground. So when I follow other people, it leads to death. 
But when I renew my mind and I put on the new self and I walk like Jesus and I have his mind, that always leads to wisdom and that leads to life. Now, imitate is a really unique word. It's not passive as some might think the Christian walk is. It's a very in, it's an intentional word and it has an intentional meaning. Paul gives it a, a, a command for us to imitate, mimic God, watch God, do what God does. How do we know what God does? We have the word. We have the testimony of Jesus Christ. We have the conscience that comes from the Holy Spirit guiding us and directing us. We have eternity placed into our hearts. This is how we know what God would do. They said to Jesus, show us the Father. And well, Jesus said, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you want to be able to interpret the Old Testament, what God does in the Old Testament, watch how I interact with people. Watch how I love people. If we say, I don't know what God would do, look to Jesus. How do I know what Jesus would do? Look to his word. And everything that he wants us to know is found right there. Watch God and do what he does. And listen, this does not happen to us. It will not happen upon us. It happens as we obey. It is a choice. It is not a byproduct. You do not imitate anyone unless you mean to. It's one of the most important things that I want you to hear today. If he tells us to imitate God, he's putting the choice squarely on our shoulders. It is a choice that we must make. If I go to church enough, if I read the Bible enough, if I'm around the right people, if I have the right reputation, if I'm under the right teacher, if I, if I, if I, then I will be more and more like Jesus. It does not work that way. It's intentional by obeying what, how Jesus lived, not just what Jesus taught. Obeying how Jesus lived. You cannot imitate Jesus by sitting in a pew. It doesn't work that way. It's practical application. It's, it's, it's knowing what Jesus said and knowing what he would do with it. That's wisdom. That's what Paul's calling us to imitators. This is a command for us to keep. It requires your free will. Your free will will follow your selfishness, and it'll make sense to you. You can convince yourself that you're right. Or because of your renewed mind and your new self, your free will will follow Jesus. And when you follow yourself, you will produce death in the end. But when you follow Jesus, you will produce life now. When you follow self, you imitate Satan. But when you say that you follow Jesus, you will imitate Jesus. Your life will look like his life. We love that idea, right? Well, I'm going to be like Jesus, the healer, the wise sage, the popular one that throngs of people would come and listen to, the powerful teacher, the miracle worker, the knowing the hearts of men, we want that. But remember, when you imitate Jesus, it also includes betrayal, beatings, ridicule, deception, rejected, and crucified. Be imitators of God as beloved children.
Remember those of you who have children. Remember when your children were small and, and some of you, maybe when you have taken care of kids, uh, you take food, you put it on a spoon and you pull it kind of close to their mouth. What do you do? Almost every time when you have food on a spoon for a child, you go, well, why do you do that? What are you hoping to accomplish? I want them to imitate me. When they refuse to imitate you, you will take that same spoon, put it near your mouth, and for some weird reason, kids are silly enough to think that you're really eating it, and you will even say, mmm, good. Now it's your turn. And when they finally imitate you, they take that food into their mouth, and we, we love it. Listen, children imitate who they love and who they trust. If you give a kid something that's not tasty, they ain't opening their mouth for you anymore. That's why vegetables are so hard to get kids to eat. We do this so they'll, they'll imitate us. Children imitate people that they love, people they appreciate, people they, they know they trust. They don't think about it. They just do it. It's just natural for them to imitate the ones that they love. And guess what? That's exactly the same way for us. We imitate the ones we love, the ones we respect, the ones we value, the ones we want to be like. That's who we imitate. We do all sorts of things to make kids imitate us. We will make ourselves look foolish to get kids to imitate us. We play peekaboo. We utter gibberish. We lift our hands and we act silly and we laugh hysterically when the kids do that. We wave, and we speak English in ways to babies because we know that babies aren't going to speak clear English back, so we just meet them at their level so that they'll imitate us, and we laugh, we smile, we make faces. We even say first words that we know they can't say so that they will hear them over and over again, and eventually they will say, Dad. We do this to create joy and to create relationship. Children are natural-born imitators. That's how they learn everything. Be imitators of God as beloved children. Children who have learned to trust. Children who have learned to love. That word beloved actually comes from the root word uh, where we get the word agape, which means unconditional love, the perfect kind of love. In fact, some translations, it's beloved. Some translations is dear. Obviously, it's the same original Greek word, but that's the kind of love by which we imitate God because we love him, because he first loved us, and we are responding. When we imitate him, we are responding to that perfect love. And before you say, well, he's impossible to imitate, that's the very reason he sent Jesus here, so we would have that perfect example. Imitate God, imitate Jesus. And for those of you who say, I can't, that's the only reason Jesus came here was to redeem us, but to give us an example of how to live in this world. He gave us every advantage that he had in this world to imitate the Father. Remember all the things that Jesus said? Jesus said, I've not spoken anything but was given to me by the Father. He said, I've not done anything but such as the Father told me to do. Over and over and over, we have this illustration that Jesus was 100% as God, an imitator of God the Father. So when you say, well, I can't, I'm not Jesus, I can't do it. 
Well, you're deceiving yourself. These are empty words, foolish words, calling Jesus a liar. Paul then continues to talk about our walk, our peripateo. He uses it seven times in this letter. We've already seen it, at least five of those. It actually means... Uh, It's very similar to Matthew chapter 28 when Jesus says, as you go, make disciples. It's very similar to that word. It means as you are living, as the direction of your life is going is what it means. It means intentional living this way. In Ephesians chapter 2 verse He says, in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, right? The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, he says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 says, I therefore, prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, Now I say this, and I testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. And now, walk in love. Verse 2. Walk in love. There's ever been a time period where people misunderstand what love means. It might be today. So just so you'll know, we'll all have the same frame of reference. He doesn't leave us without understanding. And walk in love. He says, walk in unity. Walk in purity. Now, walk in love. But how? How do I know I'm walking in love? Because one person's definition of love is much different than another person's definition of love. So Paul continues, As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You see, Paul is very concerned about the direction, the walk of our life, our way, our intentional living. God has given us gifts, but not just so that we can receive gifts. God has given us gifts and blessings so that they can be distributed through us. So our walk must, it requires attention and intention. Paul says we should walk in love. How? As Christ loved and gave himself up for us, sacrificed himself for us. We're we're learning here to love proactively. I don't love as a, Jesus didn't love us because we loved him first. He loved us first, therefore we love him. So if we're going to love with the love that Jesus loved with, our love must come first. Proactive love. Not to love when love is requested, but to love first. What does it look like to truly live sacrificially? Ready to give before the request. What does it look like? Jesus showed us. By the way, Jesus wasn't sacrificed. Jesus wasn't sacrificed. He sacrificed himself. And they even said, hey, do you not know we could, could, I could kill you. Jesus said, you have no power except that's given to you by the Father. He said, "I, I, I lay my life down. You're not taking it from me. There's a difference. He was willing. Not only was he willing, he did it. I think a lot of times in our selfish Christian love, we're willing. We're willing. 
And truly, we hope somebody else will fulfill that need before we're required to. Somebody else will take care of that. I, I, I'm, oh, yeah, I will. I will. I will do this. I will serve in this way. I will do. Well, I really hope somebody else does that so I don't have to. That's not love. That's obligation. That's not the love that Jesus loved us with. Jesus loved us with a love that said, I will and did. In fact, he knew it before he came. He said yes before the request. What would it look like if in our congregation that was the attitude? We say yes before the request. Living like this. So Jesus began to live out the pattern. He revealed the pattern. Jesus is God, but God, but he revealed the Father to us. Be imitators of God. Be like Jesus. Verse 3, Paul refers back to chapter 4, verse 19. Uses kind of the same words, even the same structure. He's given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But here in verse 3, he repeats the sexual sin and the impurity, and he adds covetousness, which not only here but in other places he refers to as idolatry, worshiping something other than God. And then he launches into sins with the mouth. You know, the mouth always reveals what's in the heart. Our words are a great testimony to what's going on in our hearts. Our hearts are a great testimony of what's going in the minds. Our minds are a great testimony of who we're following, who we're imitating. Filthiness, foolish talk, crude joking. See, Jesus demonstrated true love. Paul's talking about artificial love. Jesus demonstrated what real love looks like. The world reduces it to sex and talking about sex and wanting excess of all things and calling it love. Sickening. Sickening. In fact, this word... Sensuality or sexually immoral is the, some translations say fornication. It's the Greek word porneia, which is where we get our word pornography, which isn't just writing and visual. visual, visual. It is any sexual activity. This is what the word means. Any sexual activity outside of marriage. Any sexual activity outside of marriage. But you know what? Our culture says, you know what? That's just old-fashioned. You know, people don't, it's kind of, un, yeah, it might be a really great standard, but, pff, I mean, after all, this isn't the New Testament. You know, after all, we're not Jesus. And they'll start talking you out of it. Why? Because they already talked themselves out of it. And the more we give in, say, well, boy, the temptation is so much. I just, pff, maybe just this one time. And slowly, boy, that callus begins to build. Slowly. Build, build. And before long, you're like, yeah, you know what? I don't know what the big deal was. All you old-fashioned. Yeah, of course I can love God and do whatever I want to do. I live in grace. The Bible calls that lasciviousness. Calling the grace of God license to sin. It's not an imitator of Jesus. It's an imitator of Satan. 
but our hearts have told us it's okay. All of our friends, it's okay, because that's who we're comparing ourselves to, the people we want to be like. Paul's talking about the kind of love that flows from the mind. But for those who are saints in Christ, true love flows out of the renewed mind. And it's selfless. This word impurity, Jesus actually uses the same word to refer to dirty filth. I'm not going to list things. It's not fitting for this context. But in this list, Paul uses covetousness. The desire for things not belonging to you, whether they be things or whether they be people. Talking about filth, impurity, foolish talk. That foolish talk isn't really referring to gibberish or just silly stuff. It does, it does include talking about things that you probably shouldn't be talking about. But in the context of here, he's talking about stuff like the Gentiles talk about. Things that the foolish people who are captivated in their own minds, their, their selfishness, and in this context, their perverseness. Crude talking, innuendo, vulgarity. God help us. Paul says it's more than just doing these things. Some people will say, well, as long as they don't do them, they just talk about them. As long as they don't act on it. But Paul says it's even a shame to be named among God's people. If I'm going to imitate Jesus, I've got to ask myself, is that something Jesus would say? Is that something Jesus would say? Would Jesus talk about these things if he were in this circle? Would Jesus laugh about things that are sending people to hell? Does Jesus find laughing about sin entertaining? Be imitators of God, beloved children. rather than occupying your mouth with filth and crudeness and impurities and things that don't matter, fill your mouth with thankfulness. Because see, you, you can't help but be thankful if you're imitators of Jesus because that's all you can see. And in the overflow of your life, thanksgiving, encouraging, pointing people to Jesus, kind words that doesn't mean being a you know somebody who falls over all the time and somebody who's weak and somebody who has no no spine it's actually attractive it actually inspires people Verses 5 and 6 talks about what happens to those who are not imitators of God. And I know you can say, well, you know, the world tells you this and the world tells you that. And, you know, we kind of don't talk about hell anymore. The other night, you know, I was standing there, I was burning some stuff at home. And I was around my, my pit, my fire pit. I've got only stainless steel square barrel things that, that I burn in. And I was in there and I got, I got close and it got hot. And I started thinking about the people that I pass every day. And I, you know, I, I don't want to get into a sermon about hell, but I'm, I'm scared to death that we have forgotten 
that eternity is a long time and hell is a terrible place. It's real. And let me remind you of something else. Your life isn't forever. Jesus Christ is coming back. And it may be today. And heaven is a long time and hell is a long time to be separated from hope. If you want to be reminded, stand by a fire and get as close to it as you can. And then imagine that for the people that you've laughed with for all eternity. Verse 5, these people that we laugh with, these people that we joke with, all of these lies that we've believed and we've rewritten Scripture so that our sin can fit, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. No inheritance. That's not talking about heaven. It's not talking about that place that we will go for all eternity. He's talking the kingdom of Jesus Christ is now. It's now. To be able to walk in the presence of Jesus, to have communion and fellowship with him, now. I can walk. There's not anything that heaven has to offer me except eternity that Jesus' kingdom doesn't offer me now. You have no inheritance in it. You can't walk in it today. Not only will you not walk in it eternally, you can't have a part of it now. Because they're separated, alienated from the life of God, which is his kingdom. The kingdom of Christ and of God is already available, but these sins have cut them off from it, and they can't even see it from here, and they think they're walking in it. Because of our calloused minds and our calloused hearts, we choose our feelings over faith. And our feelings take us further and further from life, and we keep substituting false love. For true love. And we talk about things we shouldn't in order to create company that makes us feel better about ourselves. You know, misery loves company. That didn't just happen overnight. Knowing others that sin more deeply, who talk worse, who laugh harder, who laugh more often, we begin to feel better about ourselves. And we say, well, at least I'm not like that group. Well, they're crazy. Those that are in the world and those alienated from the life of God are always going to try to make you feel better about your separation from Him because it makes them feel better about theirs. But Paul says in verse 6, don't be deceived with empty words. All the reassurances that the world offer you that you're not that bad, that your sin isn't that bad, that your thoughts aren't that bad, or they're a lot worse, or they make you feel better about yourself, don't be deceived by empty words. They don't know. They're just that. These are words that provide encouragement. They provide support, affirmation, but they're empty. Their promises have no merit. These words will tell you that it's okay to sin, that it's justified. It'll soothe your conviction. It'll encourage your fear and your shame. They're just empty. But here's the truth. The wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. He says, do not buy in, do not partner, do not become yoked with these. Listen to me. I want to take a moment and I want to say this to those of you who may not be in a relationship right now. 
If you're going to snarl your nose or think you have a better idea than what Jesus Christ or the Apostle Paul taught about yoking up with unbelievers, let me tell you, let me remind you, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. It's clear. If you're going to find somebody to date or somebody to marry, they better be a Christian. And you say, well, I'm gonna, I'll, you know, I'll change them. Empty words. I'm warning you. Find somebody that God's already working in and agree with him. You don't have time to partner with the world. You don't have time to imitate the world. Why? Because I'm an imitator of Jesus. I can't imitate two people. Why would I be partnering with the world when I'm a partner of Jesus? He and I are seeing people saved together, using me to bring his kingdom in this world. I'm a partner of Jesus. I imitate him. I want no part of partnering with the world with sin, with sons of disobedience. I don't have time for that. So what we find is that wrath, the wrath of God, follows disobedience. Life and love follows obedience. Walk in unity, walk in purity, walk in love. Now look at verse 8. You were once in darkness, but now you are light. Walk as children of light. Once you were sinners, but now you're saints. Positionally. So since this is true positionally, it needs to be true realistically. Children of light reveal goodness, righteousness, and truth. How? How does children of light, how does my life reveal goodness, righteousness, and truth? Well, I'll tell you. By imitating God, by revealing Jesus. Boy, verse 10 I want to look back at that. It says, and try to discern. Some translations say find out. It means to search, to make inquiry. Doke mazo means to check super close. It means to put it under a microscope and fine tune it. How am I going to do that? How am I going to, how am I going to discern what is pleasing to the Lord? Why don't he just tell me? Well, see, the thing about it is, is everything that you experience couldn't possibly be implicitly in Scripture. So there's some of this you're just going to have to depend upon the Spirit. You're going to have to try to discern what pleases the Lord. How do I know what pleases the Lord? Well, I know that it pleases the Father to crush the Son so that I could have a relationship with Him. I know that pleases the Lord to have a relationship with us. I know there's several things for this is the will of God. And I know that the scriptures reveal to us over and over and over again how and why and when the Father is pleased. So if I'm going to try to discern, there is one who absolutely pleased the Father unto death. Imitate Jesus. Be imitators of God. If you want to discern, then you need to go with something that's not implicitly spelled out in Scripture. Step back and you say, how did Jesus deal with this principle? How did Jesus deal with this issue? Psalm 119, 105 says that your word 
is a lamp unto my feet. Where are my feet? Right here. I hold a lamp. It shows me all the snakes where the snakes are not because my feet are not going to be where there are snakes. So I hold a lamp right here to be able to see where I'm stepping. Is that too close? The only way that I know that that ledge is there, the light. It's a lamp unto my feet and it is a light unto my path. It illuminates where I'm going. So I know I don't just end up in a dark place. The light helps me today. The lamp helps me tomorrow, sets my direction. That's what Psalm 119.105 says, that it is the word of God who gives meaning and purpose to my moment and meaning and purpose to my future. But I've got to be walking in step with the word of God. That's how you discern what is pleasing to the Lord the word of God. So we know love himself is Jesus. We know what false love looks like. We know light, Jesus. We also know what darkness looks like. Look at verse 11. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Well, a lot of Christians like that. They like to expose those sinners. I think they spend at night with pool cue chalk sharpening up their finger so that tomorrow I can point with accuracy. Expose them. You and you and you. For it's shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. He says, have no fellowship. That word is very similar to the word partnership. What he is saying is take no joy in darkness. In fact, Romans chapter 1, at the end of that, when he lists all of these sins, not only those who do them, but those who accept them. So people say, well, I don't really do that. But, you know, if that's your thing, it's your thing. The Bible says that the same condemnation for those who practice such things are also the same condemnation that comes with those that accept those things. Here's what that's the same thing Paul is saying right here. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works. Again, doesn't mean that you can't talk with people, but what it does mean is you can't have commonality and partnership with people who are not in step with Jesus Christ. Verse 11, expose them. How? How do you expose the darkness? Be like the darkness? What, are you going to do a dark room and just start cursing the darkness? What good is that? Be around darkness? No. You have to be like the world in order to be able to expose the world. You have to go to, to places of debauchery in order to speak ill of debauchery. Of course not. Do you have to overcome every sort of sin so that you can speak into those still trapped in it? Of course not. He actually says, look at verse 13. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. How do you expose them? Turn on the light. It's genius. How do you expose darkness? Whenever you walk in the darkness, be imitators of God. That's how. You can throw your chalk dust away. Those of you who have chalked your finger into the cuticle, throw it away. That doesn't work. Paul 
who would probably be the most qualified to point, says, you just need to imitate Jesus. People who are in darkness already know they're in darkness. Now, they're going to argue, and they're going to fight, and they're going to complain, and they're going to you know, try to convince you of all sorts of things. But if they're in the darkness, they know they're in the darkness, and they stumble in the darkness. They complain about the darkness, but they're still trapped in the darkness. And it's not really because the darkness has them trapped. It's because they refuse to walk in the light. There's only two options. And so when you reject Jesus, you only have one other option. They already know they're dark. They already know they're cast off. They already know they're alienated. They already know they have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. They already feel that, and they want you to make them feel better about it. So just click a light on. Walk like Jesus. Love like Jesus. Well, how did Jesus treat the woman at the well? How did Jesus, Jesus talk to the woman caught in adultery? How did Jesus deal with the people that were not like the kingdom of this world? He actually was welcoming sinners into his life and eating with them and talking with them, but he didn't leave them that way because they were exposed to a different kind of love, a different kind of light because he clicked on something that they had never seen before. As beloved children, Jesus imitated their creator. How do we expose works of darkness? Boy, you better be the most consistent, obedient follower of Jesus Christ because I'm, well, let's let's continue. Verse 16, no, verse 15. Walk in unity, walk in purity, walk in love, walk in light, walk circumspectly. That's a very interesting word in verse 15. Look carefully. It it, it actually comes, we, we get our word circumference from this word. It means when you walk, again, here we are examining closely. And some of you have seen me demonstrate this before, and I've never been on a stage this high when I've done it, so pray for me. But when you are walking, you're just, you're examining everything, walking in circles, looking, inspecting, examining, always knowing what to do, looking, looking, searching. That's what it means to walk circumspectly. Walk in circles. Now, some of you feel like you're running in circles, but this is much different than that. Examine everything. Not as foolish, but as wise. Like Jesus. Discern. Discern. Questions you should ask yourself is, what, God, what is God trying to do in this moment? How can I reveal Jesus Christ in this dark moment? How can I turn the light on? What kind of love needs to be seen In this moment, verse 16, walk carefully because wise, being wise, because time's slipping away. We don't have much more time. Better redeem the time. Treat time with urgency. Oh, listen, I know. I've been there. I'm here now and probably don't know it, but I've got the rest of my life. Right now, I'm building. I'm in a building phase. Eventually, I'll get serious with God. Eventually, I'll I'll become more serious. Eventually, I'll do that. Eventually, I will give. Eventually, I will love. Eventually, I will serve. Right now, I'm just, oh, listen. I promise you, a time will come when you're on your deathbed that you will not say, well, I wish I had more time to build. Wish I had more time to Focus on all the things you're focusing on right now. Those will not be the things that you're focused on when you know you have no time left. And in that day, you'll wish you could redeem the time because the days are evil. 
You need to take time back. And you need to work as if today is your last day. Give like today is your last day. Serve like today. Love like today is your last day. Redeem the time. You don't have time to waste. I'm telling you, I've seen so many Christians do this. And they imitate God a little. Growth's a little slow. God, I've start all over again. Build my reputation back up. Spend my time. Do my time. Become more like Jesus. You don't have time to build your credibility over and over and over and over. Because eventually, your life just looks like this. Redeem the time. Because the days are evil. Verse 17. Therefore, because all these things are true, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. If you want correct priorities so that you can redeem the time, so that you can order out your life, you must know what God wants. You must have direction and know what God wants from you. Not asking God to bless your life, but telling yourself to bless God's. What does God want? How can I know God's will? Be imitators of Jesus. United with brothers and sisters. Pure, sacrificial love. Searching light, wise. Now, verse 17, Paul says, don't be unwise. That's a much more derogatory term than verse 16, where he says fools. This is a much different, different word than verse 16. It's the word afroes. And what it means is ignorant, senseless, knows better, unlearned. The word we would use today, stupid. The other word is I don't really know. I'm not really paying attention. This word is, you know better now. What Paul is saying is, awake, O sleeper. Put on Christ. You know better. Straighten up. Quit being stupid. Intentionally. I'm not saying that to you. I can say it like this. It's time to, it's time to stop it. It's time to take it back, and it's time for our life to have meaning for Christ, not for, not for us to come up with our own solutions to our own lives. Be like Jesus all the time. Quit getting hijacked and having to start over. Quit listening to deceptive voices. Quit following your feelings and follow what the scriptures say. Be obedient. To not do that is to be foolish and unwise. It's misunderstanding and it's intentional. In closing, I want to take you to Matthew chapter 7. And I want to give you Jesus' words about two men. In Matthew chapter 7, I'm going to start reading just a couple of verses, verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who has built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. 
And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Here's what I want you to know. Both men had the same resources. Both men had the word of God and they had the tools. One man, one man chose obedience. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them. What separates these men is their obedience to the will of God. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word this morning, as hard as it is to hear. It's so easy to condemn ourselves and to beat ourselves up and say, don't even know where to start, I'm so far behind. Compromise, compromise has become the normal. Squeaking by, resting in the empty words of false grace. Lord, this morning I pray that you would grant us repentance. In Jesus' name I pray. Will you stand with me, please? I want to remind you of something said earlier. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Be be imitators of God, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that's what we need this morning. We need to take a moment, just be renewed. We need to be, our, our minds need to be renewed and we need our hearts to be cleaned. We need to experience unity together. We need to experience purity together. We need to put off all of those things that have crept us into calloused hearts. And we need to ask the Lord, Lord, would you please forgive us and help us to be imitators of you. If you're going to be an imitator of someone, you have to be a student of someone. I don't know where you are on the process of Christ-likeness. Some of you may be here this morning and you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior. And maybe today you've heard something that's like, you know what, that's exactly right. I feel that separation. I feel that alienation. I feel that darkness. I feel that. And I don't want that anymore. I want to feel the closeness of God. I want Him to be close to me so that I can sense Him and see Him and know Him and imitate Him. And I'll tell you, He'll do all the work. He'll do all the work. You just have to make the choice to partner with Him. Maybe you're here this morning and you, you just keep building and falling and building and falling. Maybe you need consistency in your life. You need to get your mind right. You need to get your spirit right. And you need to stay there. Priorities need to shift. Priorities keep hijacking you. You mean well, but it never gets beyond that. This morning, I beg you, if you'd like to come and pray, I encourage you to do that. I just want today, before we go, I want us to say, you know what? I am 
an imitator of God. And as I go, I will imitate him and I will turn the light on. Everywhere I go, there will be the light of Jesus Christ. So if you need to come today and give that to the Lord, I I beg you to as we sing. Chris, would you lead us? I hope that as we sing that song this morning that, that we mean it and not just for the moment. That we truly say with authenticity and that we can move beyond what we mean in this moment. Start putting legs to it in our daily life. And here's how we know. There's cultivated unity. There's ongoing purity. There's encouragement. There's fellowship with each other. There's lights being turned on in relationship as we go. Love increases. There's fruit of peace, of joy. Goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Lord, we give you our time and we ask that you be exalted among us. Thank you for being our brother. Thank you for being our first fruits. Thank you for pleasing the Father. We're so grateful that you've engrafted us into the family. We ask that you forgive us, even for the hardness of our hearts that we don't feel. Continue to soften our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.